at the end of the previous chapter, chapter 4, uh, verse 24, the enemies of the Jews had succeeded in bringing the temple, the building uh, project to a standstill. Verse 24 says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. It was therefore a very critical time for the returned remnant. The enemy had gained the ascendancy and the people had become very discouraged. I actually believe that they were very depressed and they needed to be encouraged in the Lord. They needed to cope with their discouragements and that's the title for the message tonight, Coping with Discouragement. The people had become really depressed and discouraged. So as we turn from the fourth chapter to the fifth chapter, we move forward about 16 years from the reign of King Cyrus. Remember Cyrus? Cyrus, the king of Persia, defeated Babylon, 539. The next year, 538, he issued a decree permitting the people to return to their land. Remember him. Don't forget those dates and what he did. He was killed in battle in 530, just eight years after issuing that decree, allowing the people to return to build the temple in Jerusalem. So we move from the reign of Cyrus to the reign of Darius I. And when Cyrus was killed, he was succeeded by his son. He didn't last very long. And after his death, Darius I, a Persian by birth, came to the throne in the year 522. And he reigned until 486. And it was around this time that God raised up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. So it's important to keep that in mind. These two men appeared on the scene in 520. So Darius is the new king, 522. And around about that time, then God raises up these two uh, preachers, uh, uh, post-exilic uh, prophets. Uh, Haggai wrote a short book. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. Uh, two chapters. And if my memory serves me well, 38 verses, you may be able to check that later. Zechariah, he was also in the same category. His book is a little bit longer, but these two men were raised up to minister for God at 522. Their ministry is combined to turn the tide of events until the whole situation was completely turned around. Now, I'm going back to the outline again. And if you know nothing else about the book of Ezra, you're going to know this outline. Because if you know the outline, you'll know the content of the whole book. All right, so bear with me again. I'm just emphasizing this. Chapter 1, there's the release of the people. Chapter 2, there is the registration of the people. Chapter 3, there's the responsibility of the people to build. And then last time, we talked about the resistance to the people with the result that the work of building came to a standstill. But in this chapter, we move on and thankfully, the fifth chapter is about the reviving of the people. Or think about it in a slightly different way. The work was commissioned in chapter 1. It was contemplated in chapter 2. It commenced in chapter 3. 
It ceased in chapter 4. And thankfully now in chapter 5, the work continued. All right, you get in the picture? I'm going to keep on emphasizing this. At least you'll take this away about the book of Ezra. The chapter divides into three parts. I want to look at these three different parts as quickly as I possibly can tonight. The first thing I noticed here is the resumption of the work, verses 1 and 2. Now, we've got to recognize this. It was not until the word of God was proclaimed by Haggai and Zechariah that the work of the temple began again. So the people were released in 538. By the time they got back to Jerusalem, to the land, and began the work of raising the altar and laying the foundation, it was 536. So 536 and now it's 520. 16 years where nothing was done. 16 wasted years. And I suppose that we all have regrets. When we review our life, we review the situation, our situation, and I'm sure we have missed many opportunities to witness for Christ or doing the right thing, and we've wasted time, wasted precious moments, precious hours, precious days. Here were people, and they wasted 16 years. So God sent these two prophets to stir up the people into action. When you think back to chapter 1, verse 1, it was the coming of the word of God to fulfill the word of God through Jeremiah that this whole thing began. So the work began in response to the word of God, and now the word of God is going to be used to encourage the workers and ultimately lead to the completion of the work that God had commissioned through Cyrus, the king of Persia. And that reminded me in the study today of Philippians 1 verse 6. Listen to it carefully. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about a physical building here, but we can apply this spiritually to each one gathered here, to each child of God, the one who has commenced the good work in us. It's a work in us by the Spirit. He will continue with us until that day when we see the King in all of his splendor and all of his glory. Now these were the first two prophets sent to Israel uh, since Daniel prophesied 16 years beforehand in the third year of Cyrus the king. Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 makes that clear. Now, you will notice the way Zechariah is introduced here. Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied. And I thought about that for a little while. He's introduced here as a descendant of Edo, that's his grandfather. He opens his book, the book of Zechariah. Haggai, he wrote a book. Zechariah wrote a book as well. And the interesting thing, he opens his book by saying he was the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. It's interesting. When we consider the meaning of the names, Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Fitting name for the prophet of the restoration. 
Berechiah means God bless us. And Edo means timely. So you think there's no significance with names. Certainly in this case, these names are significant. And when you put them together, we discover something very precious. God remembers to bless. And all his blessings are timely. Isn't that a wonderful thought? So God remembers his people, the people who have been building the house of God, the people who had to endure the pressure of the enemy, and they had ceased the work, they had caused the work to cease. God did not forget them. God remembered them. God wanted to bless them. And his blessings are always timely. By the way, that name Haggai, I don't think there's anybody else in the Bible called Haggai. There might be other names close to it, but I think this is the only Haggai that we have in the Bible. And his name means uh, festive or festival or my holidays. Uh, because the festivals were actually holidays, holy days, holidays, the festive days. And uh, it comes from a word that means to celebrate. And he was seeking under God to encourage the people to look forward to the completion of their work. And at the end of that time, what did they do? They celebrated. They had the Passover. They celebrated the other feast. So here's a man whose name means to celebrate, was bringing a word, a message to them to encourage them. And Zechariah was reminding them that Jehovah remembers to bless and all of his blessings are timely. And Haggai was reminding them of holidays, happy days, festival days. And surely they did come to celebrate that after the building. We'll read about that in chapter 6. They celebrated the Passover, a festive time, one of the feasts. So God has these men, these important men, placed uh, in the right place at the right time. Haggai began his ministry in the sixth month of the second year of Darius because Darius came to the throne 522, so this is 520, the sixth month. And uh, two months later, Zechariah, uh, he began to preach. And he began to preach in the eighth month. So God sends Haggai on the sixth month. Two months later, he has Zechariah coming in, two different kinds of ministries, two great men, used of God. Haggai preached four sermons over a period of three months. In 520. And then the surprising thing, he disappeared from the public view. So he came, he preached four powerful sermons. The people were stirred up. Then he disappears. His short ministry was very productive because the Bible tells us in chapter 5, verse 2 Then rose up Zerubbabel and began to build. So Haggai gets to the preaching of the word. Three weeks later, you've got to read Haggai as well, and you've got to see the time, the months were mentioned there, and the days were mentioned there. Three weeks after, Haggai preached the word. Three weeks, the work resumed on the four and twentieth day. As a result of a few words from God, by a preacher who wanted them to celebrate the great work that they were involved in. And church history shows us 
that when God wants to stir his people, when God wants to arouse his people into activity, he sends men to preach. God bless preachers. God bless preaching. Pray to that end tonight. In this prayer meeting, God bless preaching. Preachers. And the preaching of the word, the preaching of Martin Luther, brought about under God the great and glorious Protestant Reformation, a movement that transformed not only Germany, but the entire Christian world. The preaching of Whitfield and Wesley produced a spiritual awakening in Great Britain. Do we not need that today? Surely we do. How can this come about? Preaching, anointed preaching. And thousands were swept into the kingdom of God. And that great awakening was known as the Evangelical Awakening. And it helped rescue England from the kind of bloodshed that France experienced during the French Revolution. Remember how Napoleon changed the seven-day week into a ten-day week. The animals couldn't bear with that at all. They were collapsing in the street and so on. Had to revert to the seven days a week. Thought he knew better than God. And he had to learn that God is in control of all things. So their style of preaching was different. But God was pleased to use them for his glory. It was hard to get the people to resume working again. Because if you read the book of Haggai, that opening chapter, you will read that, that Haggai has got to reprove them. Because during that 16-year period of time when no work was done, they were building their own luxurious homes. They were tending to their own homes and forgetting about the work of God. And remember that story or that portion in chapter 1 that Haggai says, you're putting your money you're putting your goods into bags with holes in it now I'm a Bellamina man I, I don't like to waste anything and if I was going to put money in a bag I wanted to be sure that there's no holes in it what's the point of doing that and so they were too busy working and building their own homes neglecting the house of God and they thought they were prospering but actually because of the inflation rate Oh, they were working away, trying to gain this and trying to gain that. And because of the inflation and the situation, it was just like putting money into bags with holes in it. They weren't making anything. They weren't going anywhere. God was frustrating them. You see, they're not seeking first the kingdom of God. They're putting themselves before God, and God was teaching them a lesson. Maybe you've got a few hundreds below the, the old map was there or the pill at home just watch in case it disappears some of these nights <laughs> that's the situation the way it was then and there's a there's a contrast between the enthusiasm 16 years before and now they had lost heart and they're given to worldliness carnality the second thing is the request of the governor now if you look there at verses 3 and 5 at the same time came to them Tatnai governor on this side the river and uh, others came along with him and they put two questions to the people of God who hath commanded you to build this house and then they also inquired after the names of the people involved in the work. They came to conduct an investigation it seems that not much time had passed until opposition came again. So they have resumed their work. 
the Lord of God has stirred them up. They're giving themselves to the project with all of their hearts. And just as they began to get into the swing of things again, the, the governor of Syria, uh, who was an employee of the king of Persia, arrived in the scene and asked these questions. Well, when we're seeking to do a work for God, people are going to come and ask the question, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? Why are you involved in this kind of Christian work? Who's given you this authority to come and stand in the open air and preach to us or stand in the pulpit and preach to us? Who's given you this authority? Why are you involved in this kind of work? You've heard that yourself. And that's the situation faced by these people as they began to do this work for God. Who else was involved in it? What are their names? Just in case they've got to come back and get them again. Then they talked here in verse 8 about these large stones. But be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is built with great stones. Now, why, did, why do you need great stones and great timbers? That was a, a question. Uh, there was a, a difficult political situation in the country at that particular time during these first two years of Darius the king. And maybe the governor thought this was a local burst of activity to further a revolt. This was a revolt in the making. A sinister plot under the guise of, of building a place of worship. This is going to maybe lead to a rebellion against the, the, the king. And so he was asking these questions. But Tatnai did not order the Jews to stop the work only to explain their authority for doing so. And they carried on the project, not like what happened 16 years before, when they stopped and gave up and wasted 16 years. God was observing their activity to defend them. That's what verse 5 says, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease. So they had been stirred up through the preaching of the word of God. They know they can trust God. They know that they're in a right cause. They know that God is with them in this thing. And they've been encouraged through the word. So they're saying, okay, we're not going to give up. We're going to stand this time. We're going to take a stand. We're going to continue on with the project. And they did. They weren't watching over them. The Jews knew that they were right. And they suggested to the governor that he, need, he needed to investigate the records to find the decree. So he, they're saying to him, there is a decree somewhere that Cyrus made and we want you to search for it because they're in Babylon or wherever in the royal palace. We have our authority in writing and we want you to search out and find out exactly what Cyrus promised to us. We're entitled, we're claiming our citizenship as it were. We're claiming, we're claiming our, our rights and God's people's right to claim uh, their rights as citizens. And that's really what they were doing. You go and find where it's written and see for yourself 
this is what we're doing, this is what Cyrus told us to do, and we're just complying with his request, and we're doing the right thing. We're doing what the king told us to do. And when we do what the king tells us to do, we have the authority of the written word of God to back that up. Holy writ, the truth of God's word. Live your life by the book. Do what the book requires of you, and God will bless you in spite of the unlikely. That's all we can do. God does not bless disobedience. God blesses and honors obedience to his truth, to his word. We have it written in the book. God has given our church a commission. He gave to Christ that commission. Christ said, I am building the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we have the authority of God's word to do what we're doing, to preach in the open air, to preach the gospel, to expound the scriptures of truth, to testify, to sing, to bring praise to God. It's getting more difficult to do that these days. More difficult. As time passes, it will continue to be the same. So here we see this request of the governor, and then finally, the report of the king, the report to the king, verses six through seventeen. So it's come to make an investigation. He interviews the leaders, they inform him of the situation. They advise them what to do, to write to the king himself, just to get things confirmed. So here was a man, and he was uh, agreeable to that. And no sooner had he concluded his investigation than he wrote a letter to headquarters uh, to the king himself. And uh, you, you have the details in verse six, verses 6 through to 17 here, the contents of that particular letter. And then in chapter 6, the chapter we'll come to next time, you have the reply from the king. So he's sending out this letter now. He's putting all the facts in the letter. He's sending it to the king. The king gets his secretaries to check things out. And after a long search, then they discovered the decree of Cyrus. And Tatnai, in his letter, it's a very detailed letter, he said that he went to Judea found the temple being built with large stones and timber. And he called the building under construction the temple of the great God, verse 8. And the Jews, they described themselves as the servants of the God of heaven and earth who were building a temple that a great king of Israel built many years ago, verse 11. That great king was Solomon. And so the situation is brought very clearly to the fore here that the people in their response to the questions actually gave a testimony. Give a testimony to Tatnai and to the other companions who gathered with him. They gave their testimony. They confessed that they were the servants of God. They confessed that they were doing a great work for God, building this house for God. They frankly confessed their recent history was caused by their own ungodliness. That's the reason why they got into Babylon in the first place. They confessed that. So they're giving their testimony. We're the children of God. We're building this house for him. The reason we're in Babylon is because we sinned. We sinned against the God of heaven. For 70 years, they've been chastened by the hand of God. But they also testified to the overruling providence of God in their history. The recognition of guilt is the first step to their rediscovery 
of their identity as the people of God. Oh, they had sinned, they had wronged, they'd been chastened for it, and they're confessing this. And then they have to confess that God overruled in his divine providence. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take them into Babylonian captivity. Then they also went on to confess that Cyrus had reversed the whole situation and gave them permission to return from their captivity. Nebuchadnezzar had carried away the vessels of the temple of God in 586, and Cyrus, he had restored those vessels to Zerubbabel, 538, to bring them back to the land. So they're confessing, we have sinned against God, we were chastened because of that, God in his grace and in his mercy was merciful and gracious to us and gave us fear in the eyes of Cyrus and we're back now in the land and we're building this great temple for God. They're not ashamed to say we're the servants of God now. Oh, their hearts have been changed through the 70 years of discipline and chastening in Babylon. They're changed. The word of God has stirred them up as well. And when we fall under the chastening hand of God, God gets his way. God humbles us. God takes dealings with us. And he brings the word to bring healing to our souls. So after the chastening, he brings healing through the preaching of the word. Everything's changing now. God is at work. And they give their testimony. The good parts and the bad parts. They acknowledge this before God. So Tatnai, he decided then to send this letter to see if what they said was correct. And the great God of heaven has a record of our testimonies, of our sins, our shortcomings, our failures. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. And the royal secretaries began to search the archives. It took them a long time because they couldn't find them in Babylon. They had to then go to the royal palace of the king at a different location. And eventually they found the edict, they found a decree that permitted the Jews to return to their own land and furthermore to build their temple. It also authorized them for many other things as well. Darius was impressed with the legislation of his illustrious predecessor Cyrus and by the decree that carried his signature, and in chapter 6, verse 7, this is what he says to, in his, in his letter, the reply back home to Tatnai, the governor. Listen, let the work of this house of God alone. That's a reproof. Let the work of God alone. I, I decree it. In other words, that literally means keep your distance. Keep your distance from the work of God. Neither local Persian officers nor the people of the land were to interfere but rather do everything they could to support the work. Well things have changed because God's in it you see. The king described the terrible judgments that would come to anyone who didn't obey his edict and you can check that out in chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. So what started out to be an investigation ended up as a royal decree protecting the Jews. So those two who came or those companions who came along with Tatna, they were probably mis mischievous. They were trying to hinder the work because it was really moving on well. And they thought they could stop the work again as before. 
but God was working this time. God had enough of that. And he was working in such a way, and this Cyrus the king showed favor to the people of God again, just the way Cyrus had showed favor. And really, I'm sure those people were reproved when the letter came back and it went to scroll from the, 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 the Persian king. Let the house of God alone, I decree it. Anybody that lays hand upon any of the workers there, I'll deal with them. I'll put the fear of God on them. I'll put the fear of God on them. And so, instead of putting the work out of circulation again, the decree of Darius guaranteed the protection of the people. And so the work continued. And we'll come next time to think about the work completed. But remember this. We're talking here about a physical situation, a physical building. And what's involved in that. But this is only a foreshadowing of a spiritual building. The church of Jesus Christ. And all the, the problems and difficulties that uh, are involved in this great work that is an ongoing work. The unfinished task of that day speaks to us of today. The Lord's present purpose is building of a spiritual house of church and that work is still unfinished. It's got to be stressed that the work Christ brought on Calvary, it's a finished work. All right. Once and for all, forever. But we must not forget his present unfinished work. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the present age has not yet run its course. And this still unfinished task means that there's much work for us to do in the service of God. We face a task unfinished that drives us to our knees and need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. So it's a wonderful picture, the physical work involved, the opposition, the difficulties, the overruling providence of God and the whole thing, God protecting his people and so on, the discouragement and everything involved in it. But at the end of the day, God has protected his people. God wants to see his work flourishing and going on, foreshadowing of what's happening today. In spite of opposition, in spite of discouragements, in spite of many enemies, God can intervene just like that and turn the situation around as he did away back then. The resumption of the work, the request of the governor, the report to the king will come and we will finish the first part of the book because the first part finishes at the end of chapter 6. There's about 80 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And during that time, you have the book of Esther comes in between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Well, we'll leave it there tonight. Let's bow for prayer.